The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. And now for something completely different. Hey, I was, I'm a Hall of Famer. I'm in three Halls of Fame. For the young fans, they don't give a damn. They just give a damn about themselves and what they're hearing now. And I got no problem with those rules. I know the rules going in. I'm happy to play the game that way. And when Ivan came off with that uh, knee drop from the top rope and he pinned me, I thought that something happened. I couldn't hear a thing. You could have heard the pin drop in that arena. It touched me so deeply that when I went in the dressing room, I really felt depressed. I'll tell you that, I'll tell you right to his face. If Hogan and I, if he wanted to get in a real street fight with me, trust me, he would lose, and he knew it. You know, that's the other thing. They give you the belt, and they're like, okay, you're in charge of me. I was like, what? When you mentioned a guy like Harley Race, that kind of legendary status, it's obvious why people would get upset. Or as I'm concerned, Roddy Piper was not a wrestler. He wasn't even a good worker. If he had to go out and work his way to the top and not have good friends like Jim Barnett. I mean, I'm not, I'm not saying he's not a good guy. He's just not a tough guy. Bro, I swear to you, I don't have an ego. Like, I don't give a crap. I, that stuff is not important to me. People don't know me. They have no idea of who I am. They know of me as being a fictional character that they saw on TV. People didn't understand that, you know, the guy they saw in the ring that happened to be using his real name, that happened to actually be the president of the company, they really believed that that guy that they loved to hate was actually a pretty decent guy. And I think many people have the perception that I really was that character. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two-man power trip of wrestling. This is a story about a Canadian guy who's at the apex of a multi-billion dollar industry and nobody's talking about it. If Elvis was a wrestler and living in 2018, he might be Kenny Omega. I want to make professional wrestling about unity and equality. It was really important to me to see queer stories on TV and I never thought I would see one in wrestling. Men and women crying in the audience. Something is connected. Engraved on a Nation continues with Omega Man, a wrestling love story on TSN. All right, let's get it rolling right here, right now. This is the two-man power trip of wrestling, and you are listening to feature show number seven of the two-man power trip of wrestling podcast. Uh, If you didn't know by now, my name is Chad, and as always, I'm joined by my tag team partner, the one and only JP John Paz, and uh, still sitting here in quite the amazement, just completing the interview with today's subject of feature series number seven. Almost needs a uh, his own feature series period the one and only kenny omega joining us here for feature episode number seven promoting his tsn documentary omega man a wrestling love story a part of tsn's engraved on a nation series uh just kind of soaking it in because we're recording this right after 
we conducted this interview. We want to get this out as fast as possible to everybody listening. And, uh, John, it's almost like a real-time reaction. We haven't spoken <laughs> since we hung up with Kenny and a little brief cameo by Don Callis. Uh, but what are your opinions of this interview here, man? It was a great job on your part getting this put together. And uh, having completed it, you know, do you feel satisfied with uh, the fact you've finally been able to get some of those dying questions out to uh, the cleaner, Kenny Omega? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it's pretty cool to be able to get to talk to him about not only his career, but this awesome documentary that's coming out. I'm dying to see that. I love wrestling documentaries. And when the actual subject is still current and still the best in the world and still doing his thing, I think that makes the documentary even cooler and even better to me because you can kind of live in the moment with him and really learn his story up until now. And it's almost like we're continuing his story as we move along and after we finish the documentary. So it's very cool that we kind of get to live vicariously through him for a brief period of time. But what an unbelievable honor it was to get him on. Not only is he one of the nicest guys that we've ever you know encountered on the show, but he's one of the greatest wrestlers. And he's currently, arguably, the greatest wrestler in the world. So when we had on great wrestlers, I mean, obviously Bruno San Martino, Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk, Dusty, I mean, all these huge names, obviously their career was so far gone. You know, they, they, you know, they was way past their prime. We're, we're talking about memories and stuff like that. With Kenny Omega, I mean, we're kind of talking about present day. Obviously there are some great memories him winning the G1, him beating Okada for the IWGP world title. Obviously those memories are there, but his career is still so strong. And he, he's only 35 years old. He's literally the greatest wrestler in wrestling right now. He's not only having five-star matches, but he's having six-star and seven-star matches. Uh, I know people are going to say that's subjective, but it just goes to show you that a lot of people out there are thinking he's having the greatest matches they've ever seen. And he's up there with having some of the greatest matches of all time. So it's awesome to think that we're living in the moment right now as he is the greatest wrestler. And right now as he's having these great matches and really, really having on talent that is, you know, not only just so current, but just so damn good. And I hope that comes off well. And, and Chad, I hope you know what I mean here because we're talking about best bout machine being a nickname, but I mean, he really, really is having just these unbelievable matches with anybody and everybody. You go from having a five-star match with Jericho, and then the next year he's having a five-star match with Tanahashi, and then you know he's having with Ishii and Kota Ibushi and Okada and having good matches with Sonata and Jay White. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Whoever he steps in the ring with basically makes them better and turns them into gold, and he basically is walking, talking, living wrestling history right now. Oh, absolutely, and I think with you giving that little list at the uh, the top of your uh, your comments, you know, I think maybe we get the reputation of having guys that are are at the end of their career or past the glory days of their career. So when we do get somebody who is active, and when we do interview people who are active in the business, uh, but I don't think to the point of a Kenny Omega who really is at the top of the uh, the food chain at the top of his game. I mean, we sat as a collective uh, wrestling universe and waited for. For him to sign someplace, where was he going? Was he finally jumping back to WWE? Was he going back to New Japan? Was he signing with AEW? What was going on? I mean, he was literally on the tip of the tongue of the wrestling world a few months back. And, you know, just kind of thinking about everything you talked about with him in terms of his matches. You know, the fact that now he hasn't wrestled in a few months and we're waiting for this AEW show in May. It's amazing to see that he's got this couple of minutes to spend with us and that he's promoting this documentary because he seems like a guy that's got so much going uh, on in his life and so much on his plate 
that it's a uh, it's a it's a it's a matter of a miracle that we're able to get him on here for a couple minutes. But again, I think uh, very thrilled at the fact we're able to promote this documentary for him. Yeah, just loving this Omega Man wrestling love story. What a great kind of a uh, feature documentary to make. Obviously, I love wrestling documentaries. That's just one of the things. If you love this business, you love the kind of behind the scenes and you learn more about the person, you learn more about their journey. And this is a special one because you're not only learning about his journey in wrestling, but you're mixing in with the Golden Lovers, Kota Ibushi, who, if you don't know, is another one of those guys is one of the greatest wrestlers in wrestling today. Just two of the best workers and a great tag team, but not only a great tag team, also a great rivalry. But you'll learn about how they met kind of the the ins and outs of of that relationship that friendship that rivalry that tag team that singles matches those grudge matches just you learn a lot about them and their history and how they came together and even when kenny talks about it in our interview i think it's really cool that he really kind of how he met Ibushi was kind of through watching wrestling and, and learning who's like, who the hell is this guy? So I think that's just a cool thing because you go from that to 10 years later, everyone's like, who is this guy? As John Callis calls him wrestling's greatest secret. Now it's kind of the shoes on the other foot, so to speak. So it's ironic that everyone is saying that now about Kenny Omega, who is that guy as they are slowly, but surely learning who he is. And, I feel like more and more people each day by the masses are starting to learn who he is and he's starting to become very mainstream because Chad, I know you're very familiar with this as am I, but there's the, the autograph game, if you will, there's the meet and greet, there's the personal signing stuff. I have a lot of friends and Chad, you have a lot of friends that were saying that when Kenny Omega last time he was in New York, nobody could touch the guy. He was like one of the Beatles. It was like uh, McCartney or Lennon or Ringo or George or whatever. He was there signing and he wouldn't stop for hours. I mean, just five hours in a row, people are waiting for him as he's walking out of the building. People are you know, yelling and screaming, trying to get to him. I mean, this is just an amazing, amazing guy to go from where he was in the business to where he is now. It's crazy. And to think that this is all done without WWE. Now, you know, they're the end all be all right. Well, not anymore. He's literally changing the game. And as the elite says, they are changing the world. And I really think that's true, especially with, Kenny Omega and the Omega Man, because they don't just make documentaries about anybody. I mean, you got to be a huge, huge star, especially this series, Engraved on a Nation. And I feel like this is the perfect subject at the perfect time because, man, his popularity is through the roof. Yeah, and you mentioned with the autograph game, it's crazy high spots. I mean, they they went ahead and they tweeted the other day that they offered six-figure deals to a short list of guys to headline WrestleCon this year. And you look at the names on the list, you look at your Goldbergs and your Austins and your Chris Jericho's. Well, Kenny Omega was in that conversation, and that is just – that's absolute elite, no pun intended, territory – for a guy like him who, when he left the WWE, I mean, he left their developmental, I, I don't think anybody could have predicted this. And I didn't have time to squeeze it in because we were pressed for uh, the, the time limit at the end of the interview. But, you know, I didn't want to ask him where, where would he see himself in five years. I wanted to ask him where did he see himself five years ago in five years. Like, we're, basically, we started this show four and a half years ago. That's pretty much around the time that he started hitting the independence again. Where did he think he was going to be? at this point five years ago did he know or did he expect or did he have faith in himself or, or confidence in his ability that in five years this guy would be in the top echelon 
of the business. I don't. Uh, I, I think being as humble as he comes off in this interview and as soft-spoken as he is, I bet you he would 100% say no, but I think with a little wink, wink, nudge, nudge, know that his ability could have gotten him to this point very easily. Definitely, and it's funny you know, you're saying humble because that's immediately what I was thinking. It's like, man, this guy is so humble. He's the nicest guy in the world. Does he not realize he's probably the greatest wrestler right now and it's kind of the hottest commodity and the number one guy? You read all these rumors and you read all this stuff and you see and you see all these things about him. And you mentioned him being a free agent earlier. When he was a free agent, WWE made him a deal that was supposedly in the two million dollar range. And people are going to say, "Oh, how do we know that's true? How do we know that's factual?" Let's let's be real here. It was around that amount of money, and we know that to be true because if you know anything about the, the New Japan money and what he's making over there and the AEW money, if you really kind of in, invest yourself in some time and focus in on the business, you know that he was ordered, offered a ton of money by WWE. They wanted the guy. So, I mean, he's just a huge name. And to just think that, you know, that doesn't even get to him. That doesn't even inflate his ego. That doesn't even make him kind of just brush, you know, brush it off. He gave us all the time that we needed, all the time we wanted for the interview. Was nice, respectful, humble. You know, we're saying he's the best bout machine. He's the greatest. He's like, well, well, that's subjective. That's somebody's opinion. It's a lot of the people's opinion. So just funny and kind of ironic that he's saying, you know, well, uh, subjective, this and that. But hey, let's be honest. He's he is being very humble. And he is one of the nicest guys we've ever had on because, let's be honest, Chad, and I know you would be this way. If you were having the best match with literally anybody throw out there just having the best match of the night, having the best match of the year, having the best match of all time, you might get a little bit of an inflated ego. But not Kenny Omega. Still staying true to him, still, still staying humble, still staying strong. And he's saying he's still evolving and still growing. Crazy to think that when you're having seven-star matches, right? Yeah, no, it's uh, 100% very humble, uh, 100% uh, a key uh, cog in the AEW wheel, an asset to professional wrestling, and we urge everybody to go out and find this documentary. It's on TSN in Canada. Uh, It's going to be airing March 27th, so that's when this episode drops. So tonight in Canada, if you're listening to this and you have TSN, you can get it. I am almost positive you'll be able to see it uh, relatively quickly with the way Things get to the interwebs, and I'm sure TSN is going to put it up so everybody can check it out. It's going to be one of those must-see documentaries and an absolute grand slam for TSN up there in Canada, a, uh, an amazing sports network, and they really uh, they picked a great subject. And hopefully after you're done listening to this interview, you will agree. The only thing I'm uh, <laughs> I'm a little upset about, we didn't get a chance to say goodbye to Don Callis. So if we have Don on in the future, we will properly say goodbye. But you will also hear Don Callis very briefly make a cameo appearance in this interview. So uh, thank you to Don for popping in. And of course, thank you to Kenny for coming on with us and to TSN as well for helping set up the interview. Now, John, I'm going to give it to you now. In the feature show, we do things a little differently. We don't do the full tmpt business the way we do on the other show so john i'm gonna let you do the introduction here for kenny omega because i know this is something that was on your bucket list of interviews so this is all you so please uh hit the introduction here for kenny and let's get it on over to this great feature episode number seven with kenny omega all right all right and now a former iwgp intercontinental United States, and a two-time junior champion. Of course, he's the former IWGP 
world heavyweight champion. He's one of the greatest wrestlers in the world today. You may know him as the best bout machine or the cleaner. He is Kenny Omega. Please enjoy. On the line tonight is a man who is the focus of a brand new documentary entitled The Omega Man, a part of TSN's Engraved on a Nation series. Uh, He doesn't need an introduction. If you know anything about professional wrestling in this day and age, you know about the one and only Kenny Omega. Mr. Omega, thank you so much for joining the two-man power trip, but also a nice hello to sitting next to him, Mr. Don Callis. Thank you both for coming on with us tonight. Thank you very much. Pleasure's all mine. So, Kenny, obviously this documentary, gotten a chance to check out the trailer, gotten a chance to read a little bit about it. Uh, Fascinating story. Uh, Talk about, if you can, how this documentary came about and how somebody who doesn't really, there's not a lot of stuff out there about you. You let everybody in to kind of see what's going on in this amazing world of Kenny Omega. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing came about about a year and a, a year and change ago. I received my first email from... Uh, you know, the producers and director, and they had asked if I would be so kind as to let them into my life and follow me in a day in the life of Kenny Omega in, in Japan. So I thought that maybe, you know, this was going to be, you know, uh, just a foreigner trying to make it in J- in Japan. And um, I had my reservations about it at first because um, I I have a certain way that I that I live my life in Japan, the way I prepare for my big matches, and I was I was worried that having a film crew kind of buzzing around me at all times was going to sort of interrupt my uh, my my zen, you know. So uh, I actually turned them down at first, and it wasn't until they responded much later with a a very nice um, email, kind of going into depth as to why they they selected me as a, a topic of discussion. Um, I had seen that there was a lot of passion behind this project, and that these people were familiar with my career, and they were very interested in telling uh, my story. Um, of course, uh, they didn't know at the time what that story would be. Uh, they just wanted to kind of see what it was like in Japan and, and you know, what, what my career was all about. And uh, I suppose in the end, you know, it's become the wrestling love story uh, because the, the sort of reunion with Kode Ibushi uh, was a, a very big deal for me in the year of 2018. And uh, it was a very storied uh, a storied event between the two of us something that that ran the course of over geez 10 years so to have all of that documented in this film um, is uh, I don't know I haven't seen it yet but it's uh, it's a pretty cool thing 
Yeah, I find that fascinating. The fact that I've, I've heard you say in a few interviews that you haven't seen it yet. And it is the full title is Omega Man, uh, a wrestling love story. And uh, again, you know, for you not to be able to see that, well, not that you've chose to not see the full product. That's fascinating because uh, that's a lot of trust that you're putting into the, the crew and obviously all the hard work that's been put into it. Uh, are you going to check it out at some point? Or are you going to wait till everybody kind of gets to see it here on March 27th before you take a full look at it? Well, truth be told, um, you know, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a shy person, and uh, to me, it's it's uh, for lack of a better term, it's it's, it's a little embarrassing. You know, I feel uh, I, I don't know. I just I, I, it feels strange to be the subject of a documentary. I'm used to wrestling camera crews following me. I'm used to wrestling style documentaries um, uh, being aired on wrestling programs and wrestling streaming services, but never a documentary. That, that's a standalone documentary from people that don't have uh, experience in wrestling to kind of tell the story uh, from an outsider's perspective on wrestling. So I, um, I was kind of scared to watch it. And uh, I didn't think I would. But now that sort of the preliminary reviews are coming in, and, and generally they're all positive, I, I, might, I might sit down and, and watch it just because, uh, you know, maybe, maybe there's nothing to be embarrassed about. I, I don't know. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Nothing to be embarrassed about just from a little bit of footage that I've been able to see. But what do you think the wrestling fan who maybe hasn't checked out wrestling in a long time and kind of sees how you are wrestling's uh, best kept secret? I know uh, Don mentions that in the trailer. You know, what do you think the the wrestling fan that may have stepped away is going to see if they check this thing out? I, I think what maybe makes the documentary special is that because it was made by people who weren't wrestling fans, uh, I, f- I feel that it will be shot through a lens, both literally and figuratively, for people to understand my story that aren't wrestling fans. And I think those are the types of people that I hope can take something from this. Um, it's always been my goal, especially in the past few years, to appeal to the non-fan. And... Uh, I was only able to do that and, and approach that through my wrestling and through my storytelling in the ring and, um, you know, um, out, outside of the ring promos and, you know, backstage promos and such. So this is really kind of like the first opportunity that I've had outside of, you know, perhaps my gaming ventures where I can try to convince people that wrestling can be fun and, and something for everyone. And uh, I, I, I hope that for the non-fan out there or people that maybe fell out of love with wrestling and want to give it another shot that they can watch this and maybe take something from it and hopefully enjoy it. Oh, they, de- they definitely will do that. Now, Don, I just want to ask you a question here quickly. What do you think from your perspective fans are going to learn about Kenny in this documentary? Well, I would hope that they would learn the thing that a, that a very select few of us have been lucky enough. And that's to kind of learn something about who Kenny Omega really is. And I think Kenny's a really kind hearted guy. And I think he's, someone that has creativity that is really unique in wrestling. If you kind of look at what he's done, um, I I hope that people kind of get a a look at that. And I also, when I look at the title, it's Omega Man, a wrestling love story. When I, and I did watch the the film. um, I think the title is very apt because you end up, even if you're not a fan, you end up falling in love with wrestling uh, after watching this. And I think, what this does is, if you're not a wrestling fan and you thought you'd never like wrestling, watch this. You'll become a fan of Kenny Omega and hopefully a pro wrestling. 
Now, you're talking about the journey, if you will, Kenny, with Kota Ibushi and 10-year journey. Can you just talk about how that journey actually started, like the, the genesis of it? Obviously, it had a lot to do with the DDT promotion, but how did that genesis kind of start? Well, if we're going to go back to the the absolute beginning stages of it, uh, my friends and I, who are also local professional wrestlers, we would do like these mystery uh, Japanese independent DVD purchases and we would just have a box full of indie DVDs sent to our place. And then we would have viewings every Friday night from, I guess, about 6 p.m. till 3 a.m. And uh, in one of these boxes, we had D- uh, DDT DVDs. And I was blown away by this guy named Cody Bushi. And I thought, wow, um, I, I, I don't know this guy. I've never met him. I'm not sure if I ever will, but I feel like something about him is, is speaking to me, and I feel like I have to work with this guy, and I feel like if I had an opportunity to do so, that we could really do something special together. And so I kind of made the appeal, you know, when I spoke with um, some uh, some Japanese newsletter uh, sometime afterwards, I was doing uh, some Northeastern Indie, I was a, I was a champion there, and uh, they took interest in the Northeastern Indies, and they, they wrote a newsletter that reported um, on all the Northeastern wrestling goings-on for the Japanese fans. And within one of their newsletters, they did an interview with me, and I had mentioned that if I had an opportunity to go to Japan, I would either want to go to DDT to wrestle Kode Ibushi, or I'd want to uh, wrestle in, in Kaintai Dojo under Takamichinoku, um, who, is, who is really uh, the person that introduced me to Japanese pro wrestling. I had no idea the level of athleticism that was in Japanese wrestling until I'd seen uh, Taka Michinoku and the great Sasuke at In Your House Canadian Stampede. So um, he was kind of uh, my gateway drug, so to speak. So I, I had a sort of a an interest in both. And um, DDT ended up seeing that interview, and they offered me a summer in Japan for DDT. And with my second match being a best two out of three falls with Cody Ibushi. And um, we, we've, I, I, to this day, I still feel that that match holds up. It's one of the my most proudest performances. And it was the start of our friendship and uh, the start of our rivalry at the time. And that rivalry um, turned into something completely different and, and new. And uh, we could have had singles matches till the cows came home and you know, done Cody Bushi Kenny part one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. But we decided that we don't want to do damage unto each other. Um, we should unite. Our goals seem to align with each other, and together we wanted to do something really special in tag team wrestling. And thus we formed the Golden Lovers in early 2009. If you think about kind of where you started and where you are today, it's pretty amazing considering the last really one-on-one match you guys had last year at the G1 Climax was one of the greatest matches of the year, and you guys just always had that crazy chemistry. Ten years ago, still today. Is it amazing to have that kind of chemistry with somebody even then, fast-forwarding ten years, still having maybe even better chemistry now? Yeah, um, it especially shocked me when we reformed the tag team, how I felt our tag team chemistry became even stronger um, than what it was when we were younger, more athletic, 
um, you know, in our broken down state, we still had that timing. We still have uh, the same creative juices flowing at the same wavelength. It was, uh, it was, it was a magical time, and it was, uh, it was a very big part of a very important year for me in professional wrestling. And, and to me, you know, even though I had defeated Okada and won the IWGB Heavyweight Title, you know, reuniting with Ibushi was probably bigger than all of that for me personally. And speaking of, of Okada for a second and the IWGP Championship, what yep. an honor. Being the World Heavyweight Champion, New Japan Pro Wrestling, one of the most prestigious world titles in the business, and you kind of even somehow, after Okada's epic run, you almost elevating it further, making it more global and really bringing it to the States and making the American fans. What is it like or what was it like being the World Champion, the IWGP World Champion? That's a, I mean, that's an interesting question because for me, uh, I'd felt that um, my holding the belt isn't what made it as prestigious as it became. I believe my my journey to finally dethroning Okada and just the match itself, where I ended the the record breaking run. I believe that that was more important for the history of the IWGP Heavyweight Title. Um, of course, I I tried to multitask a lot, and after I'd won the belt, you know, I had a million goals and, and things that I wanted to accomplish while being the champion. Um, but um, I'll always value sort of the uh, the the thought and detail that went into the chase for the title more so than what I did with the title. Um, but it was really cool, and I I always will, uh, you know shouldering the responsibility of of manning the ship for the, the western expansion was always something that i wanted the responsibility to do i always wanted to be that guy so you know to to be that that person that the company trusted in in the year 2017 and 18 uh it was it was really a real special time for me and um you know a time i won't soon forget i i'm very proud of all of the the main events that i that i had on, on u.s soil and uh, I guess my only regret is that I couldn't main event our first Canadian show. Yeah, definitely. And, and just thinking back with the Okada, you know, the chase, but then you win the title and just that feud. And just to think about it, you guys are going to go down in history as possibly the greatest rivalry of all time. I mean, you got Misawa Kawada out there. You got Flair Steamboat. There's so many great rivalries. Yeah. Okada Omega is going to go down. Don and obviously. Inferno. <laughs> <laughs> That's a damn good one, too. You think about it, though. You know, Meltzer uh, quoted as the greatest series of matches of all time. Seven-star match, uh, 6.25 stars. What I mean, all the stars, six stars. It's just such an epic feud. And, and those four matches are some of the greatest matches of all time. Is that something that ever sets in or you ever think about or you're always thinking about the next thing? Do you ever kind of go back and contemplate and think like, wow, you know, Mino Kata possibly is some of the greatest wrestling matches of all time to most fans? I mean, I never try to dwell on on a single on a single match rating. Um, it's it's something cool to hang your hat on. And uh, at first, you know, after Kenny Omega Okada won, I'd felt that I'd really emptied the tank, and I'd given everything that I had. And it was sort of a I don't know, sort of a, a sadistic approach to the foreigner that gave everything to professional wrestling and just came up short. Um, that was 
my intention for the story. And I never thought that that would then sort of segue into my eventual journey to dethroning Okada. That first Okada match, I thought was my absolute peak. And then, you know, we did the 60-minute draw. And it was only until I did the 60-minute draw and survived and had that feeling where that match was even better than the first that it unlocked something within me that allowed me to come up with new scenarios, new story ideas, um, and just possibilities. And then I thought, wow, you know what? I, I have enough in me to do, a, to do a third match, a fourth match. And uh, I, I still have ideas for a fifth match. So um, it was almost like trying to... Okada, after, after the first match, I thought doing a second would be trying to get blood from a stone. And now I feel that now that two was out of the way, there is no more pressure. I look forward to the next opportunity where we can show something new and um, not reinvent the wheel, but just sort of further investigate our rivalry because I still think there's more there. Now, for Don, being ringside or even, you know, calling these matches by voiceover, both kind of scenarios there. Don, what are your thoughts on some of these matches? Or am I right? Is this going to go down in history as possibly the greatest rivalry and some of the greatest matches of all time? I mean, I think it's in the discussion. I mean, for sure it's in the discussion. It's, it's obviously subjective. I mean, I was lucky enough to call all three of them live. And it takes a lot for me after 30 years in the business to actually kind of get excited. There were four. There were four. There were four. I was there. There were four. Right? Yes. Oh, yeah. There were four. <laughs> okay. uh, no, I wasn't there for the first one, but right. I saw the first one. Right, right, right. Um, but it takes a lot for me to get excited. And uh, certainly in all of them, but really the 60-minute the, the draw and then the, the match where um, – uh, sorry um, – the match where Kenny won the title, I was literally very, very, like, I was super excited. I was like a fan. And so that, to me, tells me a lot, because that doesn't happen to me very often. So they are, they're certainly into the discussion. It, I think the thing that's best about them is the thing that a lot of people don't understand, which is the story that was being told. That's the beautiful part of those matches. Physically, they're fantastic, but storyline-wise, I think, is where they're difficult to touch. Definitely, and it's one of those things where you look back in wrestling history, and there are those you know ten pole matches, those legendary matches, and to have a series of them is just amazing that you can kind of go back and look at and kind of say you were a part of it. So I mean, Omega Okada is just such an epic series of matches. Now, Kenny, you said you yep. wanted to do that fifth match with Okada. Is there a possibility? Is the door open for New Japan Pro Wrestling? Is there a door open for a return? Man, my door is wide open. Uh, I, I have zero restrictions on what I do. As long as I feel that it's in my best creative interest, I am open to doing anything. But of course, it's got to be a two-way street. It takes two to tango, um, and, it, and it's about timing. So I, I was fully prepared for the, the epic showdown at Madison Square Garden, and I thought it would have been a very cool match uh, to have Okada Omega at, at MSG. Um, because, and not because of the building, the, a building name or, or location, it doesn't, that doesn't really mean much to me. I have no emotional connection to Madison Square Garden. I, I know it, it's regarded as the Mecca of, 
of, of sports entertainment in terms of, of, of a building. But I just wanted to have that match on American soil just once. And uh, we sort of were able to show a little bit of our chemistry uh, in America in the tag match when we had myself and Ibushi face Okada and Ishii. And, you know, it felt good. It felt, it felt really fun. And, um, you know, just timing-wise and, you know, business is business, things didn't work out the way that I had anticipated. And we're not going to get it at Madison Square Garden. But that doesn't mean that the story's over and that the book is closed. Um, we're both going to be very active in professional wrestling for a number of years, I would assume. And I think that there's another opportunity for it. And who knows? It might be better to, to just wait it out and you know get get that fifth match somewhere else down the line. Would have been awesome just to say not only Tokyo Dome but MSG as well because I consider him those to the, basically the two meccas of wrestling. Imagine Tokyo Dome and imagine MSG would have been awesome. Obviously, American soil, Japanese soil, the two temples, right? I mean, Tokyo Dome is epic, but MSG equally as epic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, for sure. Um, I I understand um, sort of the the attachment that a lot of wrestlers have to that building, and for a lot of wrestlers, including you know Japanese wrestlers, it's a dream for them to perform there. Uh, but for me, it, that was never the case. Um, so to do to do that there was more um, because the fans were hoping to see it. I, I wanted to do it for the fans. Uh, but but it wasn't an accomplishment for me to do it there. I, I would have done it anywhere. I would have done it in my backyard. Um, hmm. I, I just I just want to do it um, on on Western soil, or if if not, just some some places in Japan, a, a, a different interesting location, maybe neutral ground. Who knows? I do think the stakes have to be different, and uh, I want the fifth match, of course, to be visually and uh, story wise. Uh, different than all the, the four that came previous. And that's one of the things about those matches. They're all different. They all go, obviously, different time lengths as well, but it's completely different psychology and everything else. Now, as far as being in AEW and being the EVP and having that role, that has nothing to do with you kind of wanting to wrestle New Japan guys. Like you said, the door's open. You can kind of not call your own shots, but, you know, you're kind of with your contract and with you the way you are in AEW. You can kind of roll with the punches and kind of, you know, open to doing different things. Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely correct. And when I structured my contract, I made sure to have it written in that uh, if I wanted to um, revisit New Japan or, in fact, any Japanese promotion, I was I was free to do so as long as there was a, a gap in my schedule. And, uh, you know, just AEW as a promotion uh, in general, we're open to working with anybody. And um, a lot of promotions, you know, unfortunately, they, they book very long-term. So... When AEW became a thing, uh, you know, it didn't fall in line with, with long-term booking plans. So, you know, plans change. And um, who knows when we will be able to revisit that idea. And, again, I'm, I'm not married to the idea of, of having to go back to New Japan and immediately face Okada. I I, I just want to go back to go back. You know, these – I have uh, – you know, I that's – part of my Japanese family, you know, the New Japan fans and a lot of the wrestlers there, you know, I still keep in touch with, um, just as much as DDT is. I, uh, it's just a, a very big part of my history and I never really forget where I came from. And if it's, uh, if I'm able to work for either company, I, I want to find that gap in my schedule where I can make it happen. 
So just it's uh, it's all timing though, um, both for on the AEW side and and on the the Japanese end of things. With AEW coming up, the big double for nothing pay per view is coming up soon, and it's crazy to think that the most popular wrestler, one of the most popular wrestlers in the world, not is not in the part of the WWE, not in the stage. Like Don says, as far as pumping up the Omega Man documentary, the great you know the greatest wrestler we've never heard of or whatever. But if you really follow wrestling. It's like, you know, you guys are part of the Beatles, the guys in AEW. I mean, it's such a huge problem. You guys are so popular. So that's why I feel like the interest on this pay-per-view is huge with Omega versus Jericho. And another guy is one of the most popular wrestlers in the world. And obviously Don is very familiar with both of you guys. But the Omega Jericho, I feel like, almost has as much interest in the States as an Okada Omega match would. This rematch. Yeah. Uh, so, as I was saying, you know, it's a different dynamic. Of course, two different... Um competitors i find that chris jericho um forces me to tap into a different side of uh my my wrestling persona and uh, you know a, a different um a different section of my tool chest so to speak and uh for for me it's just a, a complete different challenge and what it's like working with okada um but it's it's just as interesting all the same you know okada sort of forces me to um it, it's more of uh technical one-upsmanship and with Chris Jericho it, it feels more like a fight and um, I, I I enjoy both styles and uh, I, I love testing myself um, in, in all realms uh, much like you know we ha- I had the match with uh, Pentagon and um, at All In testing myself in an environment where I'm, I'm wrestling one of the, the top guys in, in Lucha Libre uh, I I don't frequent that style. I don't frequent working with with talents like that. But for me, it, it's an exciting challenge. So, um, you know, to wrestle with a guy like like Chris was fun the first time around, and now we're going to be doing part two. And um, hopefully, you know, I I can bring some new ideas to the table and and do it now uh, again, much like how I wanted with Okada. Now we're going to be doing it on American soil, so that's pretty cool. That is very very cool, and it is awesome. Kind of how you guys really are changing the world so to speak and i feel like you are you know the the mccartney or the lennon whatever you want to say the the lead dog of kind of changing the world and really showing that the best wrestler in the world definitely does not work for the wwe you know what i mean well i mean again it's it's all opinion based and and a lot of people (laughs) on a daily basis make it their business to tell me otherwise and that's fine (laughs) everyone's entitled to their opinion and everyone's entitled to be passionate about that um but you know, for the people that that do, uh, you know, you know, add me to the discussion of of people that are some of the best performers in the world. You know, I'm I'm very happy and thankful and feel very fortunate for that. And I and I don't want to do them wrong. So I'll always give my best and put my best foot forward and always continue to try to innovate. And sometimes I I might miss the mark. And if I fail, you know, my apologies. But I'm going to pick myself back up and try something new again. So you can't always hit a home run every time. But I will. Uh, I will at least go out swinging. It does seem like, and as we hit the wind down button, we start to wind it down. It does seem like more often than not, you are hitting home runs and grand slams because the best bout machine usually has the best match in the card, whether it's against Tanahashi at the Tokyo Dome, whether against Naito, whether it's against the Stone Pitbull, Ishii. I mean, there's so many guys that you just go out there and you just have the match of the night, even, you know, the match of the year. And then there's, you know, Meltzer saying, you know, 
five stars, six stars, seven stars. I mean, you just have been just hitting home runs constantly. Do you have possibly some favorite matches or some favorite opponents that you've been, you know, able to kind of have these just amazing matches with? Wow. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, as you said, the list is, is kind of, it goes on and on and on. And I was lucky to be in an environment like New Japan where more, a lot, a big bulk of the roster had a lot of very strong strengths that I could highlight. Um, and I always found that my best skill, one of my best skills as a performer, is that I'm able to kind of highlight my opponent's strengths and then put that highlighting on steroids and and really make them look like more of a star than than what they sometimes appear as otherwise. And um, I am always willing to sacrifice myself um, to to accomplish that goal. And uh, again, in New Japan, we had uh, some very incredible wrestlers. And um, you know, whether it be you know an Ishii, who of course is a very different style, or an Okada, who has a very different style, or even someone you know who is a little underappreciated, like a Goto. You know, um, I just I just love the challenge and uh, of, of working with these individuals, and I, I try to come up with ways. You know, how do I make this really cool thing that they do look even better? Or how can I get into this thing in a certain way that maybe people haven't seen but is going to make people really excited to see? And, um, you know, you add that to uh, an easy-to-understand, an easy to understand, well, sometimes easy-to-understand narrative or just a narrative that people can appreciate in the moment. And, um, you know, that will, again, magnify what I'm already doing to highlight their strengths, and then it becomes whatever a five-star match or a match of the night, or possibly even match of the year. It's a you know it's a process, um, but I, I think that that part of it, a big part of it, is of course focusing on how to make your opponent look as good as they possibly can first, and uh, then just go and then trusting in yourself to be able to sort of follow through with that. So I worry less about myself and, and put all my energy into how do I highlight my opponent's performance. And as long as you can keep up with the pace that you've set for yourself, you know, you'll look good in the process and the match will look good in the process. Uh, it's a very strenuous cycle to have to do that, both taxing mentally and physically. But um, it uh, brings me a lot of enjoyment and uh, I feel very fulfilled when you know, my opponent can can look great, and when the fans especially uh, can watch a match and and call it the match of the night, or that, hey, that was the best match of, you know, insert name here that I've seen. Um, it's moments like that where I, I find myself most prideful, I think. I feel like just looking at your career, I mean, leader of the Bullet Club at one point, the cleaner, obviously, member of the elite. There's so many different things, I think, you know, these tentpole things, you could say, wow, look at Kenny Omega, he's doing this, you know, he's taking over the world, he's, he's becoming the best wrestler in the world, he's doing this, he's doing that. But that's kind of what you mentioned there, is kind of the most important thing that I think. It's sometimes like these guys you've never wrestled before, never had a one-on-one -on -one match with, but immediately are able to have amazing chemistry and somehow have these great matches. 
like Okada, for instance, never had a one-on-one match. All of a sudden, it's one of the greatest matches. Do you kind of take pride in that part of your your ability, just not only to able to adapt, but just almost so quickly be so fluid that you can just watch a guy, and then all of a sudden say, "Okay, I can wrestle him and and make this match a million times better." Because to me, as a fan, it's almost like, "Wow, how could these guys have chemistry? They're not wrestling one-on-one and house shows for weeks, or you know, and getting you know what I mean? You literally, they almost just throw you in there. It's like, oh, by the way." This is going to be so much pressure because you're the main event of the Tokyo Dome, or you know, you're the main event of a show on U.S. soil. Or hey, you and Cody have to sell out this building in uh, San Francisco. Here's your first match one on one. Like how you know how does that kind of process go? Is that hard to do? Because as a fan, it almost seems impossible to be able to do that. It's a lot of pressure, and of course, it takes two to tango. Um, and well, um, ironically, when I use the word tango, I I can relate it to and liken it to perhaps ballroom dancing where you know the the best dancers in the world can dance in sync with any partner that are professionally trained and it's uh, their body responds um, to every every twitch of the muscle fiber and it, it almost becomes uh, just a, it's just uh, an animalistic response. It's 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 it becomes reaction. It almost becomes instinct. And um, whether I've always had that or not, I'm not sure. But I realized that I had this skill in 2016 at the at the G1, my first run of the G1. And um, that plus perhaps the way I wanted to approach my storytelling, plus you know, the passion that I had and the pride that I had for my own performances. You know, there are various um, components in a, in, a, in a gigantic witch's brew that allowed me to really evolve myself as a performer. And once I, once I made that, that gigantic evolutionary step, I'd sort of felt that I unlocked the secret to, I guess you could call it the five-star match. Um, I, and w- without sounding you know too egotistical a five-star match to me is kind of an easy thing to do with almost anybody and the only time that I would falter in my quest to have a five-star match is when I really go out of my way to try something absolutely new or something that I'm unfamiliar with or something that I'm not 100% comfortable with because I could rehash and recycle the same old formula because I know it works but if I start doing that then I'll, I'll stop growing and I don't feel that I'm, I'm finished yet in my process of evolution so um, I'm still going to get a little frisky I'm still going to try new things but if, if someone had a gun to my head and said hey have a five star match with this guy it's kind of it's light work at this point it's pretty easy stuff so uh, impressive what the kind of run you've been on. Like you said, you won the G1 Climax 2016. First non-Japanese wrestler to really win the G1, which is another amazing kind of stat to add to your career. But just kind of curious on this. I know it's like kind of the generic stupid question, and I'm sure you get asked it all the time. But any interest in WWE at all? Right now? No, zero. Absolutely, absolutely not. I'm 100% focused on uh, what we're doing with AEW. And, uh, you know, my, my interest... My interest starts and ends with just um, hoping the best for my friends that are there, 
you know, I, I hope they do well. I know WrestleMania is coming up. I, it's a big show for them, and I hope uh, everyone kills it. Um, yeah, I mean, if if everyone's doing well, then then the industry does well. I I don't. That that's about it. And of course, uh, you know, I said it before. I'll say it again. You know, I just I just wait for the fantasy world, which may or may not happen, where um, we'll work together someday. I think a lot of people will be waiting on the edge of their seat for that. And you talk about a fantasy world. Well, how about this? How about real life? And it's the Omega Man documentary, a wrestling love story on TSN, March 27th, a part of TSN's Engraved on a Nation series, a series that has only done a certain number of profiles on some very key Canadian uh, luminaries in sports history. And you're a part of that series. And Kenny, I can't wait for everybody to see this. I can't wait to check out the full thing myself. But one last time, what do you want the fans to take out of this documentary when kind of viewing it and seeing more and and not uh, past the five-star matches and past all the traveling and seeing an inside look at you? What do you want the fans to take from this documentary? Uh, My hope is that after fans watch the documentary that pro wrestling is something more and something deeper than what they had thought originally. And uh, I know I'm not the only person that approaches my craft in this manner, but if I can be uh, the introduction to that style, the, the, the deeper type of, of wrestling where you feel something and, uh, and, and you know, you, you connect with uh, a match on an intellectual or emotional level, I'm 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 happy, um, and if not, then I just hope that people just, as a documentary or as a film or as a 44-minute block of time that you sacrifice to to check it out, I I hope that you enjoy it. Oh, they will absolutely enjoy it. And Kenny, I know you uh, you got a couple things that you may want to send them to, but is there is there any place you want to send the fans to find out more about what's going on in the world, the uh, the ever-evolving world of Kenny Omega? Uh, sure. I mean, I'm uh, I'm fairly active on Twitter, but only Twitter as of right now. And uh, my Twitter handle is Kenny Omega Man X. And uh, I mean, really, that's that's about it. I, I don't do really anything else uh, for for anything else that I'm that I'm doing in in uh, AEW. Of course, we have a Twitter page. Um, so just you know, search up AEW Wrestling, and and I I will probably any news. But not only me, but our other performers will be will be held there as well. You are the man, Kenny. We really appreciate you coming on tonight. Best of luck with the documentary. Best of luck with AEW and uh, everything going on in your future. You got a bright one. So thanks so much for coming on with us. Thank you so much, guys. Have a good night. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading. This is a story about a Canadian guy who's at the apex of a multi-billion dollar industry and nobody's talking about it. If Elvis was a wrestler and living in 2018, he might be Kenny Omega. I want to make professional wrestling about unity and equality. It was really important to me to see queer stories on TV and I never thought I would see one in wrestling. Men and women crying in the audience. Something is connected. Engraved on a Nation continues with Omega Man, a wrestling love story on TSN.